Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hello there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of The Real Magic Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Mason, and thank you for joining me for another episode, diving into the movies and media that we witches and pagans either love or sometimes love to hate. Today, actually, we're going to be doing a bit of both. Now, I know that we're still in the midst or coming off of Samhain, if you're listening to this when we first post, but on the other side of the world, Sumer is a coming in. And is there really a bad time to talk about the most like influential and maybe infamous pagan movies of all time? Yeah. Today our topic is 1973's weird and wonderful masterpiece, The Wicker Man. And also the 2006 Nicolas Cage abomination, The Wicker Man. Sorry. <laughs> to discuss this iconic film and its terrible remake, we have back on the podcast Peg Alloy, a.k.a. The Media Witch. Peg has joined us before for our episode on Rosemary's Baby. She's a wonderful guest. I was so excited to have her back. And she's a writer and commentator on all things witchy on screen. And she's working on a book about witches and media. So perfect guest and love having her on. You may remember that when we had her on before when talking about Rosemary ba- Rosemary's Baby, we promised to have her back on for The Wicker Man. So here we are. We mainly focus on the original 1973 movie, but we do talk about the remake so fair warning but it was an awesome discussion and i hope you enjoy it and without further ado let's get on to our appointment with the wicker man corn rigs and barley rigs and corn rigs are bonny i'll not forget that happy night among the rigs with annie Well, welcome back, Pegaloy, to Real Magic. It's so great to have you back for t- a double feature, kind of, because we're talking about one good movie and one not so good movie, but they of the same <laughs> name, The Wicker Man. And so I was telling you before we started recording, I had never seen these movies before this week. Yeah, and and my my response to that is that it's it's sometimes hard for me to believe there are you know people in the pagan community or whatever, or that study witchcraft or paganism in film. That hadn't seen them, but I realized that it's really a generational thing. Like, so I'm uh, in my, I just turned 58 this week, actually. Congratulations. So, yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. It was just um, this last Saturday and it's, it's close enough to Halloween that it's a, it's a, it's a witchy event, you know? Um, so when I was coming of age in the pagan community, so really getting into it and whatever, I would say in the, around 19, late eighties, 1990, in the early nineties, the Wicker Man was this like must see thing. You had to see it, you know, it was like, like, imagine. but it wasn't that easy to get hold of. I mean, you, everybody knew someone that had some old VHS copy, but it's not like, you know, we didn't have streaming services then. We didn't have Netflix. Yeah. 
there weren't everything wasn't on dvd for rental everywhere it was like yeah if you knew a cool video store they might have a vhs copy but somehow someone everyone would see it you know and if you hadn't seen it and couldn't quote it practically by heart you were some kind of like outcast you know um and but there was also all these diehard people that absolutely hated it because they're like oh no it it shows that pagans are bloodthirsty and they commit you know performance sacrifice or whatever it's like it's just a fucking movie pardon my french it's just a movie <laughs> it's a yeah it's such you know? an interesting movie i i had never seen i'd heard so much about it and like i'd seen like memes of the nicholas cage version oh, which we will get to yes <laughs> but what did you think of the 1973 version though I'm, i kind of I didn't expect it to be a musical. (laughs) (laughs) No one expects it to be a musical. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot more singing than Mm -hmm. I was prepared for, which I kind of love. Are you aware of what the Christmas Revels are? Have you ever heard of the Christmas Revels? Yes. Yes, I am a reveler. I haven't done it for a few years, but for those who do not know or listening, the Christmas Revels is like this very hippie sort of Christmas pageant thing that was started in Connecticut in the 60s or 70s. Oh, it started in Connecticut. They were I think so, Steph. Harvard in Cambridge, Mass. Ma- oh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm, now the whole East Coast is mad at me, but started, anyway, yeah, by, this, by this great guy named John Langstaff. And it's sort of this, it's, you know, nominally a Christmas celebration and there's all sorts of different shows. They do like a Victorian one or Arthurian mm-hmm. one. I've been in like this, the uh, Balkan one. There's a Scandinavian oh. one. And they take Christmas carols and traditions from a specific era or culture. And do, they have a kind of a story, but it's very pagan. It's very solstice oh, And it there's always... It always has the solstice featured. And can I just tell a quick story? I was in a, um, like a boomerangs, like a secondhand shop in Boston. And they had all these Revel CDs that oh, hadn't cool. COVID. And I was so excited because they were two bucks each. And I love that kind of music because I perform traditional music and I, you know, I'm a witch too. And I've never actually, I never actually got to go to the Revels when I lived in Boston, which is crazy. But um, I knew people that were, you know, tangential to it. So I bought, I was buying these CDs and I'm having a conversation with my friend and we both, I were both cracking up because I'm like, you know, I bet what happened was these people went to see Revels one year and these other people decided that for Christmas, every year afterwards, they would get them the CD recording and the friend would be like, Oh, that's so nice. Thank Thanks. you. So and then never opened it and then brought them all to the thrift shop to sell <laughs> so that I could buy them for $2 each. And yeah. now if they really get me in the mood. I listen to them in my car at the holiday. And, uh... they're, they're wonderful. And so they always have like a mummer's play and they mm-hmm. have like Morris dancing and which is a lot of stuff that you see referenced in the wicker man so i'm watching the wicker man like oh it's like revels they have like the hobby horse guy and the star with the with the swords it's like it's morris dancing which is all kind of weird and spooky and vaguely pagan too there's there's actually a few lines of dialogue and i discovered this purely by accident that are just straight out of the golden bow exactly and it's yeah it's it's, out of the golden bow so so i used to say uh you know to people like it's like robin hardy and, you know, Anthony Schaefer were just sitting around, you know, with a copy of the Golden Bow in one hand and a spliff in the other and just like, oh, what are we going to do here? <laughs> like, and so let's like, so let's put this, the 1973 Wicker Man, like kind of in cultural context, which I think is important because like, it's very much, it's very, Brit- it's very British, UK mm-hmm. center about, and it like this 
sort of it's a very much a response I think like the sexual revolution mm-hmm. and like these new attitudes in Britain that were in some ways hearkening back to old attitudes like this more liberal attitude towards sex and so the whole quote-unquote horror of this movie is like this really puritanical kind of asshole <laughs> detective yeah, encountering right. These pagans who are just like just having sex in the middle of the street for there is a reason. And now I see it stems from this very school. You know, well the just, thing the thing that's interesting that maybe pe- a lot of people don't know about the modern witchcraft movement, the modern pagan movement, is that in America, it's a lot of people that were drawn to it in the '60s after it came from Great Britain were very very liberal minded, sort of politically and socially. Mm-hmm. In Great Britain the people that initially got into modern witchcraft were very, what we would consider conservative. So in other words, the back to the land kind of movement in Great Britain harkened back to the days of feudalism. And whereas in this country, it was more about, oh, go live off the land and get the government out, that kind of thing. So, and it's very interesting when you think of it in terms of the Wicker Man context, because here we have Lord Summerisle, who's absolutely trying to bring feudalism back. You know, he's the Lord of the Manor. And he talks about the wiry labor and the, you know, it's so it's um, in that way, it's a really excellent uh, expression of that difference between um, contemporary paganism in the UK and contemporary paganism in the US. Mm-hmm. And this also this focus on like the sex aspects of it, that it was all about the fertility oh, yeah. and the naked women. And I saw there was an interesting thread reposted by the Twitter called Whores of Yore. I don't know if you follow them. They're a great, they're a great Twitter account that has like historical stuff about sex work and um, erotica and that sort of thing. And it's not as like, Oh, horrors of your! I thought you said horrors of your. No, oh, horrors of your. Even better, even better. Yeah. <laughs> horrors, of, and they posted this really fascinating thread. Somebody else did, and I have to find it. I'll link it in the show notes about how, in the '60s, there was like this movement of all these like magazines about witchcraft today, mm-hmm. and all these like mm-hmm. they were sort of like trying to be like knockoff purient National Geographic. So like, oh, we can make a map. We can't. Oh. We can't show naked ladies just to show naked ladies. But if we're like, if it's anthropology and we're talking yeah. about like witchcraft, we can totally show naked oh, yeah. women. Those, those great coffee table books with pictures of naked women, like with a sword or like, yeah. you know, doing a drawing down the moon ritual. Or yeah. And, and so that's how it could kind of seeped out into the mainstream because some people were like, hey, there are these people who are getting naked for religious reasons we Mm -hmm. can use that we can get around pornography laws by making magazines about this and so some of that imagery is like go straight into what you see in the wicker man with just all the gals jumping over the fire i love the line though like well why would you jump over the fire with clothes on your clothes are catching fire (laughs) they are naked well, naturally, it's far too dangerous to jump through the fire with your clothes on. I, I really see, again, I'm one of these nerds that can quote every goddamn line of dialogue. I think that's an interesting point you brought up, though, because um, on the one hand, yes, you're absolutely right. It was a commentary on this, the more, you know, free sexual mores that were happening in the early 70s uh, abroad and here in the U.S. But also, those are the kinds of images, and this is also going back to 1968 to Rosemary's Baby, yeah. where... Those were the kinds of images that allowed the satanic panic to sort of foment and generate because all the things that had to do with sex turned into these crazy rumors of women being impregnated and giving birth to the devil's baby and it all kind of came together. So if you had Rosemary's baby, there's just that one dream sequence. But if you have all these images from all these coffee table books of naked women 
whatever. And I, have you seen the love witch? Yes. Like there's so, a lot of the same imagery here. Yeah, They recreate yeah. that exact kind of thing just right out of those coffee table books that were by publishers like octopus and whatever. I remember one time I went into a used bookstore or it was a bookstore in Oxford and there was a used section and they had a stack, a literal stack of at least a dozen of these hardcover coffee table type books of the, about the occult from the sixties and seventies. And I still regret the day that I didn't just buy them all. Oh yeah. But I, I've collected a few over the years. I've probably got a, you know, about a half dozen or, or maybe 10 or so. Um, and they're brilliant. And some of these photographs are obviously from actual practitioners who would lo- loved, loved it. They loved having, you know, their photos taken for these books and uh, sharing what they did and all that. But um, unfortunately it did backfire. And I have to say, I don't feel like that discussion of sex and nudity and all that has found its way into the current witchcraft not that we have to talk about that but like the current witchcraft trend is really there's discussion about sex to some extent but I don't think you see that whole idea of sex as freedom because it's more about sex in terms of identity and empowerment and which are all really valid things um but I don't think you're going to see people wanting to be all, you know, yeah. cause anymore because. You know. and, and I think right now, like, and, and rightly so, like magical practitioners today are kind of pushing back on like the heteronormativity and cisnormativity yes. of those ideas of like, Which oh, all reason, magic yeah. and paganism is about penises and fertilizing exactly. the female and womb. That, it's like a whole binary, like, yeah. uh, let's not reduce sexual polarity or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not reduce either gender just to their genitals. No, exactly. And you yeah. know, you're, you're quite right to bring that up because that was really a point of contention for a very long time in the pagan community. And I remember back in the day, like my coven in Boston was founded um, by a gay man and they really played with, and it was, it was a lot of gay men in the coven, and they really played with that uh, idea of gender polarity and the fact that it was a, that the great right had to be about heterosexual inspired yeah. sexual union, not at all. And I think they were um, a group that really, um, I don't want to say they were pioneering, but they kind of were because they got together in the late 60s and they just said, no, this is not what this has to be. What it's about is expression. A, a etheric expression of that and you it doesn't matter what's between your legs you know yeah so but no i i, I think you're right that might be one one of the reasons why now it's not such a focus is because people are like well that was problematic then yeah <laughs> problematic now but i i do like the way it's kind of comes across in in this movie because this uh sergeant howie is just he's so you know He's got such a stick up his butt. And, yeah. but the people in the village are in Summer Isle are just, they're having so much fun. And again, it's like a, it's a musical somehow. Like mm-hmm. the whole song about the landlord's daughter is very body yeah. and fun. And I, but I still kind of love it. They're like, you know, they're calling him out like, oh yeah, you're looking at the hot landlord's daughter. We're all going to sing yeah. a song about it because it's fun. And, but then it also, this scene kind of subsequent where she's like trying to hurt her, her naked dance and right. trying to yeah, seduce so now him. I'm wondering uh, which version you saw, because there are two versions. Oh, okay. Two, two popular versions. There's maybe some other versions out there, mm-hmm. but there's a version where he's there for an, uh, a whole extra day. And there's a shorter version where they cut a lot of that out. So did you see the version that starts with him in the plane arriving at the island 
Yeah. The version that starts with him in the police station. I saw the version that starts with him in the plane. Yeah, some really impressive short version. So you saw the one where she tries to seduce him on the first night. No, no, no. Oh, version. He's there for a whole day. That makes a bit Uh, more sense because it's sort of like out of nowhere. No, that 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 truncated version is um, definitely inferior, in my opinion. You can, I mean, you. And that's the thing is that that was the one that was recently streaming. I think they even had it on Criterion and I, I p- put it on one night when they had it um, still on Criterion thinking, oh, I'll just get caught up because I'm certainly writing about it in my book. And it's there's it's never, t- you know, too many times to watch the Wicker, Wicker Man. It's always good. And I was shocked they had that version. Um, and that was also a big thing back in the day. Like, oh, you've only seen this other version. But I have to say, it's, um, I understand why they truncated it. They wanted to make it shorter. And you may have, there's a, a really great book if you're interested um, uh, by Alan Brown called uh, The Wicker Man. I think it's called um, The Enigma or something. But he writes all about the making of this film. And apparently there was a lot of footage that was shot that does not end up in either version. Yeah, that's what I was reading. And the legend around the footage is that, and I love this story so much because there's all this great footage of, and it ends up in the novelization version. There's this great footage, which I'd love to have seen of Sergeant Howie and, and Lord Summerisle going through the greenhouses, tasting all those varieties of apples. Mm-hmm. And they cut that out. And but all this extra footage apparently was in these film cans, and the film cans mistakenly got put in a in a tip, which you know is like a dump, and it mistakenly got buried under like the M1 or like one of the major yeah. highways in Great Britain, which it's, is both very beautiful and also so sad and stupid. You know, so weird. I know. They're gonna find it one day, like they found you know Richard the Third skeleton under a parking lot. <laughs> I know it's like it's so it's so bizarre that it, that's what happened to it but um you know and that they can't recreate it and uh yeah that now now it's making me think about the remake which is oh yeah well the remake we'll get, we'll get there but yeah that makes much more sense if she's like they had some prior interaction oh, before no, this totally. and, attempted and so, seduction her trying to seduce him the night after that song happens it's like there's a whole thing and there's the whole thing with Ashby. See, I don't think this is in your version too. Do you have the scene where Ash Buchanan Mm-mm. comes? Oh no, this is not in that. So that first night he's there at the at the at the tavern. Um, they must sing gently Johnny, right? They sing the uh gently the, gently that's, yeah, I didn't hear that one. They, they sing the landlord's daughter at the tavern. I know so that gently Johnny was cut. Later yeah. they put that gently Johnny is sung when Ash Buchanan, who's a young man coming of age, comes to the tavern and goes upstairs and has se- is initiated into sex with Willow. And oh. Sergeant Howie overhears it. And then Lord Summerisle is, they, it's a beautiful sound design. So you've got them mm-hmm. having sex, Sergeant Howie freaking out, them playing this beautiful song down in the tavern. And then over it all, Lord Summerisle is reciting Walt Whitman. It's just the oh. most incredible scene. And he's like, he's saying, I think that I could turn and live with animals. They are so placid and self-contained. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God, you know? And then you hear the rapturous sex that Willow and Ash Buchanan are having. And the very next, and you know, Sergeant Howie's of course, horny and freaking out, also scandalized. And then, and all everyone in the tavern knows what's going on because this is what Willow does. She initiates young men into sex. Speaking of sex, you know, mm-hmm. and then the next morning, it cuts to the very next scene is 
Ash Buchanan placing the wreath on top of the maypole. And they do oh. the maypole dance. And so there's so much missing from that truncated version. You have to watch it again. We should redo this episode <laughs> after you see that version. <laughs> okay. Honestly. I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Because, yeah, I just, what I found the version I watched is just, it's just streaming for free on Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. It <laughs> might be a copyright thing. Um, yeah. I know that I had to, uh, years ago, I sent away for, um, I want to say the name of the company is Anchor Entertainment. Mm-hmm or Anchor Bay or something like that. And they did a beautiful version with a, a, a burned wood box. Oh, beautiful. And it had both CDs in it and some postcards and things. And then on the same day, my new rescue dog, who was only, had only been with me a few weeks at that point, a couple of weeks, um, she's still with me. She ate <gasps> my extended copy of the Wicker oh, Man DVD and she ate my screener copy of Kill List, the Oh. film which of course has drawn comparisons to the yeah. on the same day and i still allowed her to stay in my house oh good merciful uh, <laughs> yeah it's it's a really uh, yeah we can, can talk about point, so you can't get it if you look yeah. you can order the yeah. in a copy i think one of the best things about this movie is the music and the soundtrack it's so wonderful oh, yeah. it's so like it's timeless but still like Beautiful. And you know, you can also get that recording of the entire soundtrack, which has got yeah. not just all those great songs, but beautiful scoring. It's it's yeah. absolutely stunning. And the the guy who did the music, Paul Giovanni, I mean, he was, um, a lot of those songs, the lyrics were inspired by poems by Robert Burns, of course, the great body, you know, Scottish poet. Yeah. So uh, the music is a, is an absolute. Um, there's a great documentary uh, that's also included in that DVD set, and you can find that online too. Um, the Wicker Man documentary, and they've got interviews with everyone that was involved. And I think it was Christopher Lee who goes yeah. on about music and saying this is such a great achievement. You know, I know. And so let's talk about Christopher Lee in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> so great. He's oh, yeah. so wonderful. And I apparently he did it like a lot of people in this movie worked on it for free. It was very oh, yeah. low budget. But he yeah. like he he listed one of his favorite roles I've heard. Mm-hmm. And he's just iconic. He's so weird. And like the image of him like gallivanting down is like the you know, dressed as in the man woman for the oh, numbers yeah. play so with his converse on. Yep, <laughs> in that bright yellow turtleneck. I mean, he just yeah. looks absolutely ridiculous and he's so tall, you know? Yeah, he kind of looks like Tiny Tim almost, yep. like with the pale yeah. makeup. Like he had oh, to put on the pale. But so, yeah, it's just, but he's so committed to it. You suspect uh, foul play? I suspect murder and conspiracy to murder. In that case, you must go ahead. Your lordship seems strangely unconcerned. I'm confident your suspicions are wrong, Sergeant. We don't commit murder up here. We're a deeply religious people. Religious? With ruined churches. No ministers, no priests. And children dancing naked. They do love their divinity lessons. But they are are naked naturally it's much too dangerous to jump through the bar with your clothes on mm-hmm. he's so christopher lee it's just it's oh yeah so... thank goodness they got him he's so perfect in it and um yeah. yeah i've read that he's he was he just so much wanted to do this role and i think there's a wonderful really long piece written for um 
Cinefantastique magazine back in the day that you can also find somewhere online. I printed out a copy years ago and it's, um, you know, they're the ones that first called it the Citizen Kane of horror films. I must uh, agree. I mean, I think it's probably the best horror film ever made. Yeah. But so, not even I mean, it as a horror film. I don't know. know. I, th- I don't think it's very horrifying. I see it as this lovely story of this nice community that just is doing what <laughs> they need to do to get their apples. But oh, that's like, so funny because some people see it as like, oh, these bloodthirsty Scottish pagans are killing anyone that's any outsider that comes so, to that. I, yeah I did read I'm like, I'm like these Scottish accents don't sound very Scottish and then of course like yeah. Christopher oh, yeah. Lee's not even like trying right <laughs> like, a, there is definitely a bit of that because they had well they had uh, you know uh Britton yeah. Eklund and then um uh what's her name um Rod Stewart's wife yeah Britt Eklund and then yeah. uh and D- D- um Diane Salento and um who's the one I'm trying to think of Ingrid no. Pitt, you know, who's yeah. certainly not Scottish. Um, yeah, not not such great on the Scottish accents, but like, I did. Yeah. It, that's never bothered me for some reason. It yeah, just, it was. Like, it's it's because also like most of the, you know, practices and folklore they're working with is very English. Like the Morris dancing and the mumming yeah. play, it's very English. Also, like they've got, I think, like all the Wheel of the Year all at once, pretty much, because mm-hmm. like a lot of this is like associated with. Yule and they have a llama mm-hmm. song in there yeah. and like sacrifice is sort of a more of a Samhain thing works you know they, they they just put it all together because a lot of people weren't going to be familiar with it at the time yeah so they're like they mayday penises they, why not yeah they just chose what was cinematically interesting and then in terms of it being all English which you're right about um I think it's that on some level you know Summer Isle is English and he's yeah. an English lord in a remote Scottish, you know, enclave. So in a way, it's it speaks to even this kind of micro imperialism, you know, yeah. that we have within the British Isles. Oh yeah, the Brits, you know, being imperialists all over the all over the world, and they have like colonizing the remote, you know, horrible outcrops of you know yeah. northern Scotland. But what's interesting about it is that that whole explanation of how this particular area had this strange gulf stream weather and volcanic soil whatever in reality they were freezing their tukuses off oh yeah they filmed it in like november the apple blossoms they because of when they were shooting which was i believe in february or something they had to somehow fly in blossoming branches from somewhere and attach them to the trees because it certainly wasn't apple blossom time and they had to put ice in their mouths that last scene where they're stripping down Sergeant Howie before they the the fire, mm-hmm. they had to put ice in their mouths because it was so cold that you know frost mm-hmm. was com- steam was coming out of their mouths and they had to use the ice so it didn't look like they were it was uh, winter instead of May. Yeah, and, so, and of course it was typical for what the climate because it was like, filmed in northern yeah. Scotland or in, on one of those islands in Dumfries, but um, it certainly was not this not full of palm trees like they no, i just like that's no. the first thing i like the first beginning of the scene I'm like why are there palm trees and are they yeah. implying that the yeah. apples grow on the palm trees yeah. I but i thought that was an interesting choice they made that this was like not an organic pagan community that's been like practicing paganism for mm-hmm. you know that like somehow skirted the christians that they like chose to be pagan because of like yeah sort of they were it was implanted there and then it sort of they just became they ended up believing in it so I I thought that was interesting the explanation I think that Lord Summerisle gives has to do with his father he talks about the source the cheap source of wiry labor I believe yeah or his grandfather didn't believe it but his father did 
Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, they wanted those people to work for them, and in order to get them to work in that feudal system, they basically had to. It's kind of you see a lot of this in the folklore. You see a lot. Ronald Hutton writes about a lot of this in some of his books. This idea that um, in order to get the, to keep the serfs happy, you had to kind of go along with their spirituality, their worldview, and so let them have their little pagan festivals, and they would be happier. You know, if you yeah. let them have their little feast days. And that's way, how you get them to stay working for you, you know? So I think it was that idea that like, okay, we got to keep these natives happy. How do we do that? And that's why he talks about the, um, the old gods, re reverencing the old gods. Yeah, and their old gods, they, when they finally name drop them, it's like, you have a Irish god, you're like Nuada there, who's, you know, right? and then that's they have like fun. some kind of made up Avalon. It's a totally made up name, like, Avalon, okay, which is Welsh. The so. goddess of our orchards, which is sort of a corruption of Avalon, Isle yeah. of Apples, you know. Yeah, so that was I'm like, okay, well, at Welsh. least, I, and I think that's kind of better than like using real deities. I think it's probably nicer to yeah, made probably, up. Yeah. Um, though Nuada is like real as part of Irish lore, but he's not really yeah. quite what they use here. <laughs> and interestingly, that's the only two names they use although they at one point um and you might have missed this because i think that scene is not in the version that you saw but lord somewhere else says uh a sa another sacrifice um for aphrodite and she says oh you flatter me surely you mean to aphrodite he says i make no such distinction you are the goddess in human farm and oh. i your humble acolyte you know it's, it's very lovely yeah oh, i just loved christopher lee Oh, so God, much he, in this movie he's awesome. in, in his converse and <laughs> I, again like and I so that's like I'm like I'm team pagan unfortunately like, at this movie I'm like well you know right. I, I thought it was like, kind of like yeah the murder but this guy was kind of a dick and you know like, I, I don't re recall now what their purpose was like were, were the directors and, and writer producers whoever were they trying to um I don't know that they were commenting either way or choosing sides or anything but like the, the, it's interesting that there's two distinct types of responses to it. One is like yours, oh, this is delightful and beautiful and wonderful. And the other is, oh my God, this is absolutely terrifying and horrifying. Yeah. You know? And and I think like coming from it from like a pagan perspective, I'm like, eh, you know, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. um, but I was interested, like I sort of looked into the idea of this is sort of one of the seminal films of folk horror which is this mm -hmm. genre that's quite popular right now and this idea of folk horror. And right. I, I found a really great YouTube video about it. And they talked about the folk horror chain of what makes something folk horror. And it's like a, mm -hmm. it's like a rural location in an isolated mm -hmm. group that somehow has some skewed morals or beliefs and that leads to mm -hmm. violent and or supernatural happenings. And right. it's like, yeah, so like that's sort of that foundation of like folk horror. And it's about the isolation and how the land and the mm -hmm. history and these uh, old ways are so scary and the land is scary and history is scary and the other is scary. And coming from it from a pagan right. point of view, I'm like, no, the land is beautiful and powerful and the scariness is awesome and worthy of reverence. And I'm like, it's not scary. <laughs> it's cool. And so I'm like, I, I would totally move yeah. to a strange island with a bunch of weirdos like maybe less murder but... for some people it's appealing i wrote a I wrote a piece a, a couple years ago before midsummer was released 
And um, I, I, it was like a, what you need to know about folk horror before you see, you know, Ari Aster's Midsummer. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it, based on some of those things that probably went into the making of that video you saw, like what are the main principles um, of folk horror? And um, so there, so there, the six of them that I have is, um, has, it has to be English because mm -hmm. that was the source for the occult revival literature. It portrays a belief in animism or paganism. It pu puts forth ideas of human sacrifice or punishment as a way to appease the spirits of a certain location. Uh, the, uh, there's usually a number of characters who share a belief system. Others might find superstitious or supernatural. And this sets up a dilemma of reliability, which is also really common to all mm -hmm. horror films. You know, that idea of belief. It portrays landscape in an aesthetic way that's eerie or strange or evocative. And it's also, um, these films are created in the wake of the second occult revival because you know, and culturally people were getting very interested in these kinds of ideas. So here you have the unholy trinity happening at that time between, I think it's what, the blood on Satan's claw, um, Witchfinder General and the, the Witchfinder General. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that those, the, this, those three movies were discussed in this video. And like, this is the only one that really has like pagans, you know, the blood on Satan's claws about like actual devil and the Witchfinder General. Right is about is a historical drama about like the yeah. horrible things that happened right. during the witch trials and that's got vincent price you know christopher yeah. lee's good friend doing um, his thing no i i think that that's a good point and even though these three are called the the unholy trinity that founded the folk horror genre whatever although it was given that name you know later um i, I think the wicker man i agree with you i think it's really the best example of all these all these yeah. things you know it's such an interesting weird little movie like it's 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 got a lot of strange like moments of humor to it like mm -hmm. and I like that even you know you talk about how they it portrays beliefs that seem superstitious or weird but I like how in this movie like they when he's saying well this is a Christian you live in a Christian nation and Jesus <laughs> right. he's like your guy kind of blew it and your stuff yeah. like your resurrection stuff is just as weird you believe in parthenogenesis yeah. too like you're right. not different he says and he says what what of the one true god what of him and he says he had can you can't complain he had his chance and in local parlance blew it <laughs> you know and then it's like, how he gets so upset uh yeah and, and, and i know like in like that final scene is so interesting with them singing you know Oh yeah, the somewheres are coming in, which is a song I've sung in like madrigal groups. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, they sing it, um, possibly inspired by the Wicker Man, I suppose. But um, in, in again in Cambridge, Massachusetts, yeah. they have a maypole every mm -hmm. year and down by the river, and they always sing that version of "Summers Are Coming In" at the end. Yeah, and like or not that version, but a version of that song. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I know some of these songs from like, <laughs> yeah. again from Revels and um. Yeah, some and, are folk songs and then some are original compositions yeah. by Paul Giovanni. Yeah. And I and again, like the way they use the mummers and the Morris dancing, which I've always found fascinating because that's one of those cultural relics that like we like the you know, he dresses up as punch, which actually is not what they call it in the movie. Punch comes from Punchinella from Italian Commedia dell'arte right, and yeah. there's so yeah. many layers of history in mummers mm -hmm. and this in the Boris dancing and so many of them we've actually lost like yeah. it all seems very pagan and but we're not really sure how it got there mm -hmm. 
yeah. it's sort of like you know we're we're in Samhain season right now and like we all a lot of us like claim like Samhain is like a, a pagan thing because it feels so pagan but we have no actual like records of the pre-Christian celebrations right. of Samhain but we just like but we we have you know we don't know what it was like in pre-Christian Ireland but it just yeah. like it still feels so pagan. You're right. It's reconstructed. And that's why it's interesting to me that the Wicker Man has so much stuff just kind of like taken sort of whole, you know, whole cloth snipped right out of the Golden Bough. Yeah. Because the Golden Bough, of course, is this, um, there's all these many volumes of it, but the abridged version most people are familiar with is just looking at, you know, the, the, the remnants of human sacrifice in ancient cultures mm-hmm. and what some of the current or not current, but like, you know, the, the more modern age um, relics are of that, like these, you know, folk traditions that you still see and that like, like, like um, Morris dancing, like yeah. history plays, like, you know, village harvest festivals, whatever, it's all really still there. And what's very interesting to me is that a lot of places are bringing these back, like, for example, wassailing, the orchards, that's making a huge comeback all over England, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, uh, we go. I, that's yeah. my my daughter and I go wassailing, and I was singing her one of the apple mm-hmm. tree. We wassailing and hope the flower bear. Oh <laughs> yeah, there's very... so many great wassail songs. I I love that. Yeah. And I, I've done a bit of it here, although it's not as big of a deal in the U.S. But I think it should yeah. be. Well, do you, like I think a lot of people actually do it in like Washington, Oregon, because like ninety five percent of America's apples come from Washington. Right the Golden Bough is very much sort of mm-hmm. its own thing. There's racist elements to it. We there's a lot of it that's just sort of like we're guessing but like things like the actual like the wicker man and the idea of the sacrifice like that's there's only one historical source for that that's like caesar's history of gaul right right yeah and so like it's you know this idea that like okay the druids did this it's like well that was caesar writing like propaganda about the so-called you know barbarians that he was trying to kill all and and, and subjugate and so we don't even know if that was if there's any historical basis for that we're pretty sure that there was definitely human sacrifice among oh um, yeah celts and gaelic there's a lot of bog bodies that got really stabbed i mean a a lot of that stuff did come from from the romans you're absolutely he was writing his his, druid propaganda yeah and you know the druids were definitely not like warm and fuzzy like they were definitely probably killing um, but we don't like so much of it is conjecture. Like we, we know don't, that no. there was that, just like all the stone circles, and every time there's a new new archaeological discovery, there are all these assumptions about who people were and what they were doing. And you see things like the latest find, and it's published in like Nature magazine or something. It's like, oh, this was a, a, a these were this was a collection of beads used by a sorceress. Like you had no idea yeah. what those beads were used for. It's like the way zone. that any time archaeologists found an ancient icon of a woman with boobs they're like oh it's venus like the venus of willidor which is one of like the the most beautiful things i've ever seen i've seen her the real one in vienna but like we don't think there's when you're working with so like cultures like the celts or you know the greek dark ages where like they literally lost written language we're like guessing and so so because archaeology was a male-dominated Mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, endeavor for so long, it wasn't until more women started taking part as in, as academics that suddenly, oh gosh, some of these discoveries that were just 
discounted you know it was like oh no wait a minute maybe this was a matriarchal culture that made yeah. all these things maybe they weren't just little objects for pornography which is what some of the theories were back in the day like all oh, these little statues of all these little female figures so they were just like little bits of porn people would carry around in their pockets like or, or maybe they were like <laughs> the gods and you know the the, the, the fact that, that... Like, why would you why would you, if there's so much of this if there's piles and piles of this why on earth would you trivialize it you know by yeah. saying that not that and only women were buried in this special way but we don't know yeah and like yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and still today there's still so much dismissal of those ideas about and we oh, yeah. about paleolithic and neolithic which is one of my nerdy areas and well and there's still so much emphasis and all so much desire to contextualize discoveries based on christianity and other monotheistic religions when all the other mm -hmm. stuff goes back much much further it's just kind of yeah crazy yeah but so it's it's a the, the 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 result we have is a kind of fun mishmash in this movie and it's sort of creating yeah. it's it's, it's, a, it's a new mythology where we're still mythology is a living thing that we still are building on but then we get then we get the remake oh god so here's Just, where I have to tell a story are you okay ready yeah let's story? go here's the story <clears throat> so uh in 19 was it 90? No, 2001, I guess it must have been. So um, I, I'm kind of friends with the with a filmmaker who collaborated on the sequel to the Blair Witch Project. Now, there have been several sequels since then, but this was the first one. So, of course, it was going to get eaten by a snack, you know, by the critics as a snack, no matter what happened. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of involved in the, the uh, premiere of that because I wrote a little uncredited dialogue for it, whatever, and I was in touch with the director. And at the time, and so I was in LA for this event. And the next morning after, after we did this big, it was a big deal. We did a web event, like back in the early days of the internet. So it was nice. so exciting. So we did a webcast or whatever the hell they used to call it back in those days. And the next morning, the early reviews were coming in from Variety and that kind of thing. And they were not good. And so I called him up. He was in the hotel near me in LA and, um, they flew me out for this thing. It was kind of exciting for me. I'd never been to Los Angeles before. And so um, I, I was trying to make him feel better because that sucks. It was, he's, a, he's an award-winning documentary filmmaker. He had never made a fiction film before. So that was kind of a big deal. And I, I said, well, here's something I want to say to you. I want to say to you that, uh, that John Borman directed Exorcist 2. <laughs> so John Borman, John fucking Borman, one of the greatest filmmakers alive, uh, made this sequel movie that was just absolutely panned, you know? And he's like, and he, my friend, he paused for a second. He said, that's the coolest thing anyone's ever said to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, so it makes you feel better. But here's the other part of the story that's of interest here. And that is that he had done an interview with Time Out in London. And they were asking him what he wanted to work on some more, like more horror films. And he said, I'm quite interested in doing like a Wicker Man remake. And I saw that and I mentioned that to him. And I was like, you know, um, I'm all about the Wicker Man and I, I've always thought this would be such a great thing to redo. And if you want some help doing research or working on that, I would absolutely love to, you know, be part of that. And he was like, oh my God, I'd love to work on that with you. Right? Like oh, yeah. story, right? And then what happened was because the reviews of this film were, you know, he was hard, he couldn't get funding together oh. it because whatever. And the next thing you know, Nicolas Cage comes along with his $50 billion or whatever. 
because he Nicholas Cage put up the money to executive produce that sequence. Oh, that, that explains movie. some of it. <laughs> and then, of course, they chose the absolute worst fucking person on the planet and possibly in the known universe to do this project, who is Neil LeBute, who was one of the most misogynistic. I don't care. Neil, if you're listening, fuck you, man. Seriously, fuck you. Like, so, <laughs> and I, I'm not saying that everything about this film is terrible because obviously it's got some entertainment. It's a very good cast. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what they were trying to do in terms of it being about the bees and the matriarchal cult and all that. But there's so much about it that, and that they also make the Lord Summerisle character a woman. It's Ellen Burstyn. That's kind of a cool yeah. joke, you know. But there's so much about it that's so wrongheaded, and there's so much that could have uh, more than it could have been. Uh, so I yeah. look back on that um, moment in my life when, oh wow, maybe I could help do some of the research for the script of a remake for the book. Yeah, like happen. they made this, you know, like the Citizen Kane of horror, like this iconic horror film, and they took about yeah. they took the, like it's not very horrifying. Like there's, you know, if you look at the IMDb, like. There's like, they're like, I was looking at it before I watched. It's like sex and nudity, none. I'm like, really? You remade the Wicker Man and you didn't have any nudity? Also, there, there's no sexual tension about it. Like here's this, this character, the only thing, what, what sets up such a wonderful tension in the original is that here's this man that, you know, it's everything about him makes him ripe for the sacrifice. He's a virgin, yeah. he's yeah. a Christian. He would be a martyr. He is he is there on a mission, you know, of of purity and and, and whatever, uh, in 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 the guise of his job. So here's this Nicholas Cage character who's not really any of those things other than a police detective, and you don't have this tension of what it is about him that makes him this suitable victim. Yeah, there's no, so yeah, there's no right from tension. the get go. There's no there is no there is no tension in terms of him being at the center of it. So he becomes a bit of a clown in my opinion. And that's maybe that's why there's so many funny memes about the first thing you do when you Google type in the wicker man usually is like a, a, a you know, a, 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 a video image of Nicolas Cage screaming, no, not the bees. Because everyone thinks that's so funny. Or Nicolas Cage punching women. That's another thing Neil LeBute gives us in that film. Nicolas Cage punching, how many different women does he punch in the face? At least three, I think. At least three. Yeah. Um, there, there's it's definitely like, like, like this movie is like for a movie about like a matriarchal island. It's really sexist and misogynistic. It's real, well, it's real abuse. Yeah, mean, but like, yeah, he punches so many women, and like that's the thing is like once again at the end, I'm like, well, I'm kind of glad to see this guy die. Like yeah. he's sort of a dick. I mean, he is a dick the whole time, and he just yells at people. And like this that's performance. And here's this, the the original Wicker Man. It's so celebratory of female sexuality and female power and women as these goddess figures that are. And it's it then that this remake is just the women are uh, evil seductresses and they get punched in the face a lot. Yeah, and they're like, and it's weirdly sexless in a lot of ways. Like they're yeah, just they're, using men yeah. and. They're like, well, what if you wanted to I be with someone? I think the Sylvia Sea character, they have her trying to seduce young men to bring him to the island. But other than that, there's absolutely no element yeah. of sex in this and movie again, and like they don't like like this. I this con like Nicholas Cage is like, well, what if you wanted to be with someone? I'm like, for one thing, lesbianism exists. Like, yes, 
why why isn't this island yeah. of matriarchal women like an island of lesbians i would love to live in like the lesbian because island in the pacific such a, <laughs> such a self-loathing like man who's just never had the woman of his dreams or whatever the hell his problem is Ugh. that he can't conceive of women uh, you know and, and the thing having a the, good time without him I the don't car know. wreck is so weird this continuing like flashback and this weirdness about this car wreck that never oh, makes yeah. any sense also Nicolas Cage in this movie like Nicolas Cage is one of those like he's sort of like rich like this is because last night I made dinner with red chili flakes and you can add some red chili flakes and they could be really good little spice but or you can do like what I did last night which is spill them into your pasta and you'll be it will be painful to eat it and Nicolas Cage spilled his red chili flakes into He's this movie like filled red chili flakes absolutely that's a great he is, comparison <laughs> he, he commits i will give him that but like his like this performance is so it's like peak weird i Nicolas love him. Cage. and you know this it, it's funny it's almost like that performance kind of cemented his over the top in horror movies performances because he's yeah. done a bunch since then and it's it's kind of and not that he's not a mate he's a great actor and i think he enjoys these crazy roles as much he as does. he does ones and i love him when he um, likes to do when he goes when he's allowed to be campy and comedic i think that's yeah. his like sweet spot but this is supposed to be like playing it straight yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's um, kind of absurd and it's funny to me that he did executive produce it it makes you wonder how much influence did he have on the direction this character went in i mean i really don't know i was so appalled by it in a way that um i i, I haven't looked that much into it and i, I was also of course you know, because I had that dream fantasy that oh, I might have been able to work on a sequel at one point, and which could still happen, obviously. In fact, a friend and I started work on a script um, yeah. of a version of The Wicker Man. You never know, could see the light of day. But um, there's also the third film, which I, I briefly got to have a little, um, uh, I don't know, video chat with the executive producer of The Wicker Tree. I don't know if you've come across that. I've not come across that. So it was originally supposed to be called Cowboys for Christ. I mean, this this yeah. sequel. So Robin Hardy wanted to do a sequel, and Anthony yeah, Schaefer had died. Yeah, something about the worm, right? The, yeah, the... yeah. And so sadly, um, uh, Robin Hardy insisted on writing it. He's not really a screenwriter, but he wrote it. And although there's some really great things in it, the the the, the dialogue's not terribly well written. But you know, it's but it's it's interesting. Uh, film and I think it's worth seeking out but it's certainly not the sequel that um, you know sort of uh, redeems the wick you know the Nicolas Cage uh, Neil LeBue wicker man mm -hmm. unfortunately which is what I think people were hoping for but it went through years and years of issues including the, the title change and different executive producers and different um, you know stars associated with it and finally when it was gonna <clears throat> when it was gonna happen everyone was so excited and then it just kind of came and went uh, rather suddenly. But um, it's about these two, this young couple who are like Christian missionaries mm -hmm. and they end up sacrificed by uh, this cult. And they are Americans. Yeah. They're like these super Southern Texas Americans. That's why it was called Cowboys for Christ initially, which I think is a horrible <laughs> title. Which I'm glad they didn't use it. Um, but anyway, yeah, you should check that one out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I for, fortunately, I can't go an episode without mentioning Supernatural, but they did do a take on this and Supernatural in the first season. Yay, I didn't know that. It's, called, it's one of my favorite episodes in the first season. It's called Scarecrow. And it's where 
this town oh. every year they sacrifice two outsiders to the scarecrow oh, in this I feel orchard. Like I did see that now, now that you say that, it's yeah. a it's really early episode. It's really it's great. Early one. Yep. And it's got like it's it's a really cool. It's where I think actually where the series like really kind of finds its groove. Mm-hmm. And um, was on for what like a decade? Fifteen years. I have it. Oh you know, God. a very very it's thick so book about it now. Wow. But yeah, that was one of the early episodes, and like the that's the first episode where you actually introduce like a demon character, and but that that version of the Scarecrow episode, Supernatural, very much has a lot of Wicker Man vibes. Definitely a better. <laughs> tribute to the original films and oh, Nicholas Cage's very weird and like yeah that's the other yeah I have to I just keep coming back to like the the horror of the Nicholas Cage Wicker Man is the idea of women with power like that's what's horrifying mm-hmm. is like matriarchy yeah. is horror and worshiping a mother goddess is, is that's awful it's like that's obviously exactly on. where Neil Labute was coming from and you know anyone could have predicted as soon as you heard that that guy's name was associated with the project you were like oh my goddess what is he gonna do yeah and then he did it <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm sure it could have been worse it certainly could have been worse but at least three separate women getting punched in the face by Nicolas Cage I realize mm-hmm. that's funny for some people but, but it's just, yeah, it's uncomfortable and like I would love yeah. to see a feminist, like the Wicker Woman, like I don't know, feminist version of this, or even you know? just a pagan version of it. A pagan I of didn't it. find that that film terribly very pagan either. It was just like, yeah. oh, here are these weirdos, and they use sex to try to seduce innocent victims, but it's, it didn't feel, you know, Ellen Burstyn's face paint aside, where they paint her up like the moon or whatever it was supposed to be. It's, it doesn't feel pagan to me. Yeah, and it's like this male-centric view of this, like, oh, the only reason that they would do this is to like use men and subjugate men and keep them as like mutes. And it's like maybe yeah. it's just weird. I did like and his name, I like was his name supposed to be like Malice as like apple or yeah, malice yeah. as in like it's male the name of the genus of the of the apple tree. Yeah, and yeah. And then now is it Malus. I'm Edward Malus. Like, no one has a name like that. It was just a weird, dumb joke. Like, yeah. oh, okay, the fact that you're not mentioning apples at all and it's about bees, but here's a, here's your little nod, your little homage to the original. Like, no thanks. Yeah. I did like that it was set in the Puget Sound. I went to the University of Puget Sound. That was nice. Um, right, so you look- have that, like, offshore little island it wasn't raining the entire time so it wasn't technically a very good depiction of the pacific northwest right. in april and may it was right. sunny but yeah the, was i think during april and may i can't well, yeah remember I, now, it was was it during beltane yeah it was a it was a may day thing i think oh okay right right maybe like again they kind no, of like both movies to sort of smush much. every holiday together i'm gonna have to go back and watch it again and i'm oh no, you don't have to. Don't do that to yourself. Um, I, I watched it. I'm like, I want to go back and rewatch Christopher Lee dancing in his Converse oh, again. Like now, while having seen this movie, like I definitely see the legacy of it, and in, in things like The Love Witch, and things, you know, and so much of these popularized practices, and um, just, you know, I thought it, it was a lot. It was a really interesting, weird, weird horror musical thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it's it, it changed everything. I think, yeah. and it was. Uh, I think that people, even people that don't necessarily um, like it that much, have come to appreciate that it's 
it has a legacy. It's so original, so well done. And as you pointed out much earlier, I, it, it was so low budget. So, you know? yeah. And they, and they made such good use of the scenery. Like the first, like the opening like that I, of the version I watched with that, the, the shots taken from planes or something, like beautiful use oh, of yeah, that was landscape, incredible. beautiful Apparently use of just village. Um, there was also a big, it was a big thing that they were going to use Britt Eklund because apparently um, her being Rod Stewart's recent bride or whatever was kind of a thing because she was a celebrity. And then there was all this stuff around needing a body double for yeah, her. Her butt was doubled, not her boobs, but yeah, because her, her butt was too not voluptuous enough. Or well, something. she didn't want to, sh- uh, like the story is that she didn't want to, she wanted, she would only do nudity from the top up. She didn't want to see her. Yeah, I heard it. I've heard it both ways. Yeah. One was that she didn't want to do that, and also that they thought they just wanted someone with a a more suitable, yeah, more voluptuous posterior for the scene, you know, because she was quite slender, and they wanted someone whatever, but dancer yeah. butt, I but guess. It, but, yeah, anyway. and that again, yeah, like that, just like quite an interesting musical sequence there. I watch him like what? It's apparently on? that is informative like uh, i don't know what the term is that people use now but like i don't want to say something crude like spank bank but the the british equivalent of what people say oh, that was a, like for a lot of teenage boys at the time that was their like ultimate oh, yeah. fantasy like, <laughs> clip uh, you know sort of like was it phoebe cates and revenge of the nerves or something right right yeah. in uh, fast times at Ridgemont fast, High yeah the, the swimming pool yeah exactly yeah i'm sure that yeah that made made it pretty popular on the Back in the day when we had to rent movies from right, exactly. But now and now we have them at our fingertips, and we still can't get like the the longer version of the Wicker Man, which doesn't yeah. make any sense. And I don't yeah. think you can find the Wicker Tree streaming. I haven't looked for it, but so you mentioned you're working on a book. Can you talk about that at all, or when can we look oh, forward to this? I would be happy to. I yeah. couldn't tell you when. I mean, <laughs> you know how things are now, but. I've been working on it for some time and it is uh, essentially um, an exploration of the figure of the witch and um, witchcraft paganism and the occult in popular culture. Uh, The working title is The Witching Hour, uh, which is, you know, the name of my blog and whatever. And um, it's coming along. (laughs) And uh, it's interesting to me that right now we're in a very rich period of that kind of media. So every time I think I've got you know, the contemporary period all sewed up, new stuff comes along, um, which is, you know, makes for a fun challenge. So um, I'm really, really hoping to get it, you know, I keep saying every major pagan holiday, oh, maybe by Samhain, maybe by this, but it absolutely is going to be sewn up by the end of this year. Because if not, I'm going to have to just move to another planet or something. Uh, I I can't. I cannot wait. I don't know if you're one of those people that like, you know, I, there's, there's during this pandemic, there's been two kinds of people. There were the people that got so many projects done and <laughs> people who absolutely could not do that. And I certainly fall into the latter camp. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm uh, the most Capricorn. It's like, Oh, Oh, pandemic. Uh, all right. Well, I guess this is red book. And <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And did you, did you write a book? During the yeah. Pandemic? I, I wrote, I, I, um, it's out right now. I, I, I'll plug it at the end of the box, but it's. Oh the, my gosh. The, I did, how did I not know that? Or maybe I did. It's I forgot the binge watchers guide to supernatural. It's really. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. It's my supernatural book. And yeah, it's 544 no, I, I was, pages. 
<laughs> no, I remember because and because I was thinking at the time, I was like, oh my God, now I have to go and watch that whole series now so I can, you know, not, look at the binge watcher's guide. Now, yeah, now you have a whole guide to watching it. And you, can, you know, that wouldn't be a bad thing to binge watch over this winter. It's, it's you know, I, you know, years worth of supernatural. And yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, there's only one episode in the book that I tell you to skip, but. <laughs> oh, really? Oh my um, god! There was but like you, a, that you're not truly binge watching it if you skip an episode. This right? one is skippable because it was like a backdoor pilot to a to a show that never got made, and it's just like Dean and oh, Sam aren't even oh. in it really, and so it's like you don't need to watch this oh, one. It's bad. Weird. It's bad. Um, but yeah, it was really fun to write. For you so. though, digging that Capricorn commitment to a project. Yeah. Well done. But well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about you know one good movie and one not good movie. <laughs> The Wicker but, Man. Yeah, we could talk about this for a long time. It's a, it was a great, I was really enjoyed. Oh, no question. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, given how many remakes and how much horror is being made these days. It surprised me at all if someone does do another version. Yeah, there's a lot of filmmakers yeah. and writers I'd love to see their, their take on it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to name check, like I have Brian Cogman, <laughs> who is uh, a writer who wrote on like Game of Thrones. He's really wonderful, but he's a fan of the Revels. And I've oh, yeah. talked with him online about Revels. I'm like, oh, I'd love to see Brian Cogman's take on it. He was, he's like one of the best writers in Game of Thrones. So, um, Oh, I mean, that would be someone, exactly, like someone that kind of gets that whole, the, um, the sensuality of it and the historical mm -hmm. layers and all that. And also the music. Yeah, and the eeriness to, of this. That's the big problem of, I'm sorry, with the Nicolas Cage with oh, the music. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Yeah. Then the, any Wicker Man sequel must also be a musical. Yeah. Although I don't think you could recreate or even in any way exemplify what that musical creation was in the time. That was such a product of its time in a way. Yeah. Just like folk revival and all that. So I think you either have to use all that original music or somehow do it without because I, I wouldn't want it to be like a half-assed or a, yeah I would like to see Lorena McKinnett's version of the Wicker Man that would songs. be amazing someone like that or uh in fact she'd be she'd be perfect mm -hmm. although I don't know I mean I mean you could come up with a bunch of different musicians that might or Florence and Florence you know Florence and the Machine Florence that would be kind of fun Tucker or I don't know maybe early Jethro Tull you know kind yeah. of style or uh, there's a lot of interesting um groups now that are so they have the psych folk movement of the uh, early 2000s but now there's this kind of like folk horror music kind of a thing happening too so i'm sure someone could do something cool like wardruna or some of these heathen nordic bands that are doing this you know yeah interesting pagan stuff well, i'll quiet. let you go to to take care of your sweet doggy <laughs> But, sorry, my dog's in oh, no. It was a great conversation. Great thank conversation. you. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Real Magic. As always, I would love and appreciate it if you could leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or both. Make sure that you're subscribed wherever you get podcasts. And if you have questions for me or about the podcast, you can email us at realmagicpod at gmail and follow us on Twitter at realmagicpod. I'm also on Twitter as fangirlingjess. And if you like me and my work, you can buy my book, The Binge Watcher's Guide to Supernatural, wherever you find books online. It's available digitally, and you can order it as a hard copy from Amazon and Riverdale Avenue Books. Thanks for listening, and remember, when you're jumping over a fire, it's definitely safest to be naked and 
watch out for those bees. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, cool world. Goodbye to life. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all.